be full of fright. I dreamt that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall, where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show. And I must confess to you, there were many there I knew. Hello. Hi. At the devil's ball. Hello, and welcome to The Dispatchist, a friendly conversation about hell and some other stuff. Tonight's episode, episode 14, wrapping it up with Gilgamesh and Enkidu, the fourth part in our Mesopotamia trilogy. Math. I'm Jamin. And I'm Victoria. I'm Jacob. Yay! <laughs> you seem doubtful. <laughs> I'm know, Jacob. Every day's a new experience. Sometimes I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to be Victoria again. I'm sorry. That didn't work it was, for me. It's, it's, it's dark. Like, yeah. It's hard being Victoria. Yes. Yeah. I find being Jamin relatively easy. Like, you wake up, you sneeze, you go back to bed. It's great. Wonderful. Damn you. <laughs> well, did anybody bring anything to the party? <laughs> well, I brought a cocktail called Ooh. The Lonesome Hero. I made a bunch for everybody. I'm serving it in Boots. Just because that seems appropriate somehow. I don't know why. I just wanted to serve a drink in boots. Are these food grade boots? Is that a thing? Sure. Sure. They're food grade. (laughs) I don't think you're taking this seriously, Victoria. (laughs) So the Lonesome Hero has rye whiskey, Besharovka, which is an herbal bitter, a Czech herbal bitter, which is delicious. And it's often used as a digestive aid. Cherry liqueur and orange bitters. Yeah, it's very herby, and it's good for, uh, you know, when you're out on your hero's journey and you get a little tummy ache, you can just pull off your boot and whip up a batch of Lonesome Heroes and you're good to go. What's the main note in that? I would say... Soul. <laughs> it's just layers of complication, which is... <laughs> That's right. There's a lot of complication. I would say it's got like, uh, the main note would be bitter. Oh, as is a lonesome hero's journey. Okay, so this Berichovka? Besherovka. It's B E C H E R O V K A. It's still we were on kind of a, a kick for a while where we drank way too much of it. It tastes kind of like a delicious like what you want cough syrup to taste like. Okay. So I like bitters, I like digestos, I like aperitifs. But my experience with like the Eastern block is that everything tastes like grass. Are there oh, yeah. grass notes? Okay. Totally, totally. And it, I mean, but like <clears throat> medicinal grass, not like yeah. the other one that has the piece of buffalo grass in it whose name escapes me, which just tastes like grass. Uh, good grass. I like I like good Eastern Bloc grass. I mean, Don't get me wrong. It implies like, the journey across the plains. Oh, yeah. the, the steps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just, I don't like rye whiskey. Can we do it with bourbon instead? <sighs> I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Can you? Should you? I mean, we can. Should we? What's the variant? Like the Southern hero? <laughs> oh. I think so. I think it beca- like it becomes this whole like racist thing, probably. The lonely the- cowboy. <laughs> I wonder, I don't know. I mean, rye whiskey, I feel like bourbon may be too, there, must, there may be too much, too much flavor in a bourbon, right? Like bourbon kind of takes over everything it touches. Well, there should be a variant that's called the anti-hero. Ooh, yeah. What would that have? That would have Lefroy in it. What's that? The super smoky PT scotch. 
A-I-G. Is that how you say it? Laf- there, yeah. There's fro- There's vowels. It's Gaelic. It's a Gaelic word. Scots Gaelic. Scots Gaelic, yeah. And, and no, that's not how you say it. I, I said it wrong. Well, I did bring some entertainment tonight. Uh, being frozen under the Lake of Charon, ancient and long-bearded, and being eaten with the necromancers by a pack of five-spined, wondrously gruesome wolves. Ooh, that kind of fits in with our pre-recording conversation about Jamin's beard. Yes, which is wonderfully gruesome. Oh, I was going to say five-spined. That's true. We're long-bearded. I see, yeah. Mm. Well, we do, have a, we do have a walk-on by Charon, or maybe his antecedent today, so there's that. Is it Lake Charon or the Lake... Wait, run that by me again? Sure. Being frozen under the Lake of Charon, ancient and long-bearded, while being eaten with the necromancers by a pack of five-spined, wondrously gruesome wolves. Mm. How many wolves are in your beard, Jamin? Right there, now? There are two wolves. <laughs> <laughs> There's a saying, inside of you are two wolves. One is eating shredded cheese out of the bag, and the other doesn't know what day it is. Yes. <laughs> yes. Updated for 2020. <laughs> yeah, 2020. Well, I brought snacks as normal, and because I, I take everything seriously, this is actually a moderately serious, tasty snack. I had... I had this for snacks today, and I'll post a picture of it on our website. Have you ever had sriracha on an avocado? I have not. Okay, take an avocado, cut it in half, you take a knife or the back end of a spoon, and you slice down the the avocado. You leave it in the skin. But instead of doing it 90 degrees, you do it at 60 degrees. So you slice it, and then you turn it, and you slice it. You end up with a bunch of triangles, right? You microplane your avocado. Yeah, right? And then when you squeeze the ends together, it breaks apart, and this tectonic schism separate. And then you gently squirt sriracha on it in a decorative pattern. And the, when you squeeze it and it sliced, the, the sriracha kind of slides down in between the bits, right? And you can kind of squish it around. And then you eat it out of the shell with a spoon. And it's mm. actually surprisingly tasty. I feel like that makes total sense. Like that scans, every single part of that scans because yeah. those two things separately are delicious. And then together, yeah. I mean, you know, sriracha is just great on everything. So I could totally see that. And because I live in Texas, you can also do this with Chipotle Tabasco. Ooh. Chipotle Tabasco, avocados, omnom.com. What about that Frank's red sauce, Frank's hot sauce? That's like buffalo wing sauce, right? It, it is, is, but it's actually really good, and it's super good on hummus. Like, oh. it will really kick up hummus to something spectacular. I don't like most wing sauce because it's kind of acrid. Mm, acrid. And people like acrid. Yeah, right? that's why you go to That's why you go to Hooters for the wings. Yeah, that's exactly it. For, for acridity <laughs> and wings, yeah. that's exactly why people, because, you know. I ever told you my fantasy about Hooters? Let me. <laughs> I like that pause. Dot dot I, dot. I like to imagine that at night, like all of the all of the wait staff at Hooters, they roost in the rafters. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, if you were to peer in, like, when they're all huddled together in the rafters, kind of <laughs> cooing quietly to each other. That's actually kind of beautiful. See, and that's kind of sweet. It takes something kind of problematic, tawdry, and. Makes it confusing. <laughs> there's got to be a way to like combine confusing and adorable because that's there's a sweet spot in there. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I just want to cuddle an owl right now. <laughs> well, anything new in Hell News? Oh my god, so nothing. much new in Hell News. Nothing <laughs> really? at all. It's been really? such a dull week for Satan news. <sighs> so we're actually like a couple of weeks behind the big Lil Nas X extravaganza known as Call Me By Your Name. Jacob, very yeah, uh, kindly. I, I photoshopped in a mention just because it would have been like really just missing a beat if we didn't say something about it. But I know we wanted to sit down and talk about it because it was so fabulous, colorful, demonic. Rich. Rich, yes. I would say it's rich. All it's those words. rich. Yes. I was going to say it was in hell. I mean, that's... <laughs> well, I, we, could, <laughs> we could scaffold everybody's experience from he went to hell mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. this is rich. This is an allegorical tour de force that we'll be talking about and learning about for years and years, and we'll still not fully grasp the magnitude of it. Yeah, this is one of those, this is one of those like dots on a timeline. Before mm-hmm. this... We, and after this, we now. It's definitely a moment. But it's an important moment. Kind of like The Matrix. Like, before The Matrix came out, everyone was like, oh, ha, 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 yay, the world. Now everyone's like, what? What is reality? We discussed it. The, the talking about whether spoons are real or not. Like, we, we all had some deep conversations after watching this. And now we, as a society, have grown that we just now accept that Reality is tenuous. And so now we have this video, which is broaching subjects and pushing people in front of buses, like <laughs> thought-wise, people, yeah. pushing people's thoughts in front of buses, mm-hmm. alleg- it allegorically. It did suddenly bring satanic panic into the news in a way that it hasn't been for a few years. Yeah, yeah. Yes, we're going to have to do another episode. So, Victoria. Yes? Uh, what have you got for us? So what I wanted to talk about with this phenomenon is I have two questions. So the video, Mm -hmm. is this a harrowing of hell Mm. and or is it a hero's journey? Like, is it an adapted hero's journey? Like, because again, Joseph Campbell, it's a very kind of like white Western model. Is this an adaption of a hero's journey? I think it references Conan. In terms oh, of hero's journey, because okay. the, the sitting on the throne thing is is a little bit Conan-y, but mm. by definition, it's not a hero's journey because he doesn't return. That's yeah. true. So maybe it's uh, by that definition of a hero's journey, right? Like, is he rewriting a hero's journey? Maybe it may it may allude to it. It alludes to the fall from grace of the angels, uh-huh. but that's that raises a lot of strange questions. So I don't I don't know. I think that's the, that's the illusion, though. That is an illusion. There's so many illusions. Uh-huh. So, okay. The hero's journey, if you read a lot of Louis L'Amour books where the cowboy rides off into the sunset, the hero doesn't return. Right. Okay. Right? Yeah. So I mean, why, why do we have to follow the Joseph Campbell? Why does the hero have to return? This is the hero's quest model. So in like the resurrection myths, the hero figure, the central figure dies, descends the underworld, returns with knowledge spreads that knowledge to the people. That's like the monomyth, metamyth that Joseph Campbell proposes underlies a whole lot of stories. Not all stories, and probably not most Westerns. I kind of see what you're saying. It's like, okay, I'm going to do a greater good for the greater people by suffering in hell. Like, I'm, I'm going to enter torment, 
but it's for you, the people's good. I get that. Is that what he's trying to do? Or is he, um, I don't no, know. I don't think it goes, it doesn't seem to go in that direction. He's, the video begins with the Garden of Eden, at, mm. more or less, um, kind of an idyllic setting. He encounters temptation in the form of a serpent and or himself, uh, and kind of takes the place of Eve in that scenario, rather than Adam, which is kind of what people might expect. And then he's put on trial in, I think it alludes to Jesus. I can't quite tell, but it's definitely like a Roman-style trial full of people with very tall, late Renaissance hair. I guess maybe French Revolution hair, possibly, would be say. Yeah, or sort of like Hunger Games hair. Hunger Games oh, meets yeah. French yeah, Revolution. Yeah. <laughs> but given the biblical context, I kind of feel like he's kind of putting himself in Jesus' role. Yes. Um, Mm-hmm. And then the floor opens up. He pole dances down to hell where he encounters Satan, gives him a lap dance, then takes over the throne after after killing him. You're leaving out a key, couple of key, <laughs> key parts. Sure. Allegedly, and I'm not sure, like I can't quite tell from the video, but some people say he's killed not with a stone, but a butt plug. And two, he ascends... And then chooses to not ascend, ah. grabs the stripper pole, and chooses he goes to hell. And oh. supposedly he's not met by Gabriel, but by Ganymede. Okay. Like okay. that's the figure that he's seeing is, is supposed to be Ganymede. Very pretty boy type character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So he does sort of do the opposite of the Jesus move of going to going to the underworld and then ascending to heaven. It's kind of the reverse of that. And, he, and mm-hmm. it's a choice. Uh, one might argue that it wasn't so much of a choice for Jesus. I don't know. To Jamin's point about the greater good, I don't. I think the greater good here potentially is just like, like embracing your your demons, <laughs> you know, sort of like this. Recently, so just very recently, mm-hmm. I was reading a story where the hero confronted Satan and killed him and took his throne. It was Punch and Judy. <laughs> <gasps> wow. I don't know what to do with that, but I think let's file that away because I think it fits into a whole other meta narrative. Yes, because I mean that's kind of along the seven deadly dwarves thing we have <laughs> going on. Oh man, there's no greater depth in Punch and Judy. I feel like what is it? The um, now I can't remember the name of it. Like the the Italian tradition of mocking. The upper classes. There's a word for that that escapes me at this point, but it is that thing, that very important trope. I think hmm, potentially yeah. of just like kind of like frenzy you know, rebellion. Yeah, like it's yeah, giving the you know flipping the bird to uh, civilized society. Satan shoes. Satan shoes. Yeah, this like Satan shoes. Set the perfect example. Also, part two uh, <laughs> of the of the of the little ass saga. The Satan shoes, which weirdly enough, the quote is not like a celebration of Satan. It's Jesus talking to the disciples. Is this that's uh, that's Luke? the chapter in Luke? Yeah, Luke ten eighteen. Uh huh. So yeah. it's Jesus is saying, "I saw the devil descend like lightning to hell." Like, there are lots of different translations of that, but that's within a chapter on Jesus sending the disciples into the world on their missions. Which I still don't know what to do with that. And the, the, the shoes. And that's the, the embroidery on the side of the shoes references this bit of scripture. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
and the cost a thousand and eighteen dollars. Ten eighteen. Oh, oh, is that what that was referencing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. duh. <laughs> I missed that. I thought that was just like I don't know. I just thought it was like rando price. It, like what? they just figured out a price point. I don't oh know how you missed gosh. it because <laughs> I used your credit card to buy my pair <laughs> <laughs> under the name Luke. Oh man, I feel like such an idiot. That's amazing. Hats off. Well played, sir. They bought the shoes from Nike without Nike's knowledge of what they were going to do to them. So there was this huge court battle. And now the company that made the, the, the St. Jude's is buying them back. What? Under if, court anybody, order. if anybody wants to sell them to them, they'll buy them back. But odds are against that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you have them, you hold. And, and their argument in court was that they're not really for wearing. They're an art object. Yes. Fair. So any Fair. size really would do. Because I, I think you wouldn't want to wear that. Because also, I mean, what if you, like, got a hole in it and suddenly you're, you know, spreading blood everywhere? <laughs> 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 or at least a tiny bit of, like, the Kiss comic books, you know, like that teensy if, bit of blood that makes it exciting. I spent a thousand bucks on shoes, of course I'm going to wear these shoes. Man. At least once. Well, when you're going to approach ladies on the subway telling them you're Satan, you yeah. got to have the shoes, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. you just like, you kind of look down at your feet and kind of go, huh? Huh? Yeah. I was very happy to see the box having my favorite five legged whirly gig demon, Burr, on it. Oh, yes. Oh, and yeah. And I learned, I learned something. I think Burr is the demonic equivalent of liking purple because it's weird. Every, a lot of people are saying, oh, yeah, my man Burr. And I actually said, oh, yeah, my man Burr. And so I think everybody that's wants to pretend to be a Satanist is like, Burr, because he's so bizarre. Is wearing purple weird? No, but I think there's a category of things people say, I'm weird because X, Y, or Z. And um, at least one of those is celebrating purple. Hmm. I hate that. I hate people who do that. Fixating on Burr and identifying your spirit animal as a five-legged whirligig goat lion. I think is the occult version of liking purple. Yeah, when like when this was exploding and everyone was googling Lil Nas X shoes, I saw that shoe box and I think I like I tweeted you, I texted you, I Instagrammed you, I Facebooked you, and then I walked across the hallway and knocked on your door and I was like, "Look at the things I've sent you." <laughs> Like I, it was a, like shoving things under his door. Yeah, it was an unsubtle moment of boor on the boor on the shoebox. The, the, the boor mini fandom is quite thrilled. Well, we knew you. We're number when, ten. We're <laughs> number ten. <laughs> I think you could still. It's still very. I think it's still. It, I think it's going to be niche, and then people are going to move on. So you can just hold on to that. On a similar concept of demonology, I had this kind of inkling on the last one with uh, with Captain Howdy. And y- you know how, like, you hear a thing and you have a hunch, and research is not, I have a hunch, let's try and prove it. Research is, let's do good research and see what the results say, right? No hypothesis. Ooh. <laughs> no hypothesis research is not sexy, but it's good. So we had the demon Pazuzu. Then we have the demon Abzu and Anzu and Inazu. Or Inuya Bazu. And I was like, all these demons are kind of winged, floaty, airy demons, and they have the word zoo, right? I'm like, I okay. bet there's something in here. I bet zoo has something to do with winged and floaty. 
It doesn't. I was wrong. But there, oh. there, is a, there is a common link on this word. And I'm going to write up a big in-depth post on our blog. Do we have a blog? We have a blog. What's our blog? Dispatch.ist. Oh, is that new? No. Oh. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so disappointed. <laughs> as, as someone, like, my kink is linguistics. And I love Greek and Latin and Romance languages and Englishes, Englishes, all of them. And I was like, oh, man. Okay, there's a thing called Proto-Indo-European, which is a imaginary pre-language, right? And I was like, okay, this is, this is as far as I go. I really don't want to learn Sumerian. I don't want to go off the deep end of cuneiform. I don't. Like, stop. I did. I went a deep dive into cuneiform. And I was looking at this, and I learned a couple of things on Pazuzu, Inazu, Abzu, is that you think you see things, but things don't quite match up. Like, you've got this squiggly bit, this squiggly bit, and this squiggly bit, but they don't line up. In the words Pazuzu and Inazu, the first character is kind of a half asterisk. It's a half moon of wedges. And the name of this, this glyph is Dinger. D-I-N-G-I-R. Can I giggle? Yes. <laughs> it's a dinger. <laughs> it's a dinger. <laughs> okay. The dinger is not pronounced. So it's a humdinger. Oh, zing. <laughs> You're banned. <laughs> it's not a phonetic word. It's a identifier. If you have a dinger, it means the rest of the word is going to be a deity. I'm going to sign my name Dinger Jamin from now on. Okay. Dinger un- Jamin. Yeah, it's unvoiced. It's Jamin, but he's a deity. <laughs> And so, in this cuneiform, we found this word zoo. And the word zoo, thanks to the Pennsylvania, PSD, Pennsylvania Sumerian Dictionary, I was able to look up. The University of Pennsylvania has a massive dictionary of cuneiform. The word is to know or to learn. Oh. Right? Okay. So, either Abzu or Anzu, one of the two, is it's described in all the texts but never explained, knower of the watery things. Huh. Right? Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Or maybe that may have been Inazu. And so it's like all of these demons have knowledge in their name. It's not about the winged airiness. It's just that, you know, Pazuzu has got no in there twice. Hmm. So hmm. the uh the the pa or the pa is a ba, and again I'm not a trained cuneiformist. But you love a man in cuneiform. Oh oh mmm. Twice on Tuesday. <laughs> Short story, even longer. The name Pazuzu. And we'll just take this as the names of the glyphs, not the meaning, is the face or the visage of knowledge, knowledge. And you're like, man, I bet if I were smarter, that'd be deeper. Mm-hmm. So how fancy is that? All the demons are knowledgeable. I mean, they're kind of like spells almost. So yeah. something you'd invoke for the knowledge of X, Y, or Z kind of makes sense yeah. as, a, as an identity. And their, their names become their duties, maybe? Neat. So anyway. Cool. That's cool. Moving forward. Can I say one more thing about... Well, I have, I'm going to keep... I'm going to just keep talking about Do Little it. Mass X, even when I don't Yes! Yes! <laughs> but I had another great idea for our film... For our... our um, stop motion puppet. Our stop motion series of educational films. What if we take classic epics... And insert into each one a very important lap dance. 
<laughs> so you got the Odyssey with a very important lap dance. The Iliad, lap dance. Tanbo Cooley, lap dance. I mean, it's endless what you could do. Oh, Beowulf, Beowulf with a lap dance. To kill a mockingbird. Lap dance. <laughs> so many things. But also Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh. I feel like that 12th tablet probably describes a lap dance, so we just haven't it's excavated implied. that yet. It's implied. Oh, it's implied, yeah. Hmm. There's definitely like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Lap dance implied. That could be the title of our series. Yeah. Oh, Ep- yeah. Epics colon lap dance implied. <laughs> Welcome to the episode of Gilgamesh and Enkidu, Lap Dance Implied. <laughs> Before we start talking seriously about Gilgamesh and Enkidu, I actually, I got you guys some presents. I got you a, a Miku and a Puku. Um, oh, what, wait. what are they? Hang oh on. I, where, Can my mother see this? Let's, where, I'm not taking photographs of this I, one. Where are, I can't find them. I've, oh, geez. I had, they were just here. Now they're, oh, I've lost them. <sighs> Do we have to go looking for them now? Yeah. Oh. Okay, so the Epic of Gilgamesh in five minutes or less. Uh, Gilgamesh is created by the gods. Uh, he is two-thirds god, one-third man. Don't do the math. He's pretty much perfect and is the king of awesome. And very soon he's the king of Uruk because he decides to build the most awesome city to be the king of. Okay. In chapter one. It all starts to go downhill pretty quickly after that because he's also kind of a jerk, as most truly awesome people are. Uh, He makes every single girl sleep with him, and some of the guys. Makes young men fight for his amusement, and sometimes he pulls the fire alarm. (laughs) So tell me what a Mesopotamian fire alarm is. Uh, It's a funny word for, like, flugelhorn or something like that. There's an alarm horn that he he apparently is a real nuisance with late at night. (laughs) So it's like, droid de senor, arena duels with the young men, pulling the fire alarm. Oh my god. Way to bury the lead. Quick question. If I'm a jerk, does that make me awesome? Um, no. Oh. But it, it, it's it's a positive factor in the equation. Okay. And so positive, okay. Mm, okay, we'll come back to this. <laughs> don't, 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 don't review that one. I've made some <laughs> bad dating decisions in my life. <laughs> like, I think, I think that, yeah, maybe that's an offline conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so the gods decide to make Gilgamesh a best, a be, blah, 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 blah. So the gods decide to make Gilgamesh be, I can't do it. So the gods decide to make Gilgamesh a BFF, and this guy's got long, billowing hair Mm. all over his entire body, and hangs out with gazelles, because that's what he does. And one of the local hunters sends a note to Uruk Central Offices saying, there's this guy, and he's hanging out in the watering hole, and it's kind of freaking me out, and he keeps setting my animals free, which is kind of irritating. And that is our introduction to Enkidu. So he's part... Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so he's kind of like... The Iron John, the Wild Man, and Iron like he's that sort of yeah yeah yeah. Figure. I mean, oh okay. wait, if Gilgamesh is civilization, his foil is wilderness. Yes, <gasps> binary pairs exactly, Dirt. and uh-huh. the entire narrative of Mesopotamia is urban versus wilderness in so many ways. Okay, oh, so yes, good, okay. good. You get a cookie. <gasps> <laughs> So, Uruk Central Office says, okay, we'll send the official town Strumpet. That should solve everything. And it does. But now the gazelles are running away from the new guy. And from the power of the first use of the magic hoo-ha trope, uh, Enkidu is... problematic magic hoo-ha trope, I may add. really is. (laughs) Enkidu is instantly civilized and suddenly gets both smart and weirdly self-righteous and somewhat ethical. 
And now those you t- say instantly, it took two solid weeks of boinking. Yeah. Okay. It, it wasn't was, instant. Yeah. Hmm. You know, one week to full civilization is is a lot of boinking. Yes. Is this like the? But this is creation, essentially, right? Well, it's it it does have elements of the apple of the tree of knowledge and mm-hmm. the general like sex equals awakening equals knowledge of good and evil and mm-hmm. learning. And we have two dudes. Not yet. Oh, okay. We'll get there. Do we do we have okay. I mean okay. I I kind of mentally started there. Anyway, so Gilgamesh is having weird dreams. The gods are sending stars down to earth to him and he's gonna make sweet love to the stars. Or possibly they're sending a twink to him, since the word for asteroid is like one letter off from the word for manhor. Um, <laughs> do with that what you will. I don't know. It's weird. Uh, and he hasn't been able to sleep, so he goes to find some newlyweds to boink. Either the so, wife uh, the or... The couple? Maybe the couple. Maybe just the wife. I don't know. Um, he's, he's open-minded. But Enkidu throws himself into the bedchamber and says, no! And then the two guys spend most of the day wrestling, and that's the last time Gilgamesh ever thought about ladies, because the rest <laughs> of the epic is just bromance and testosterone poisoning. <laughs> it's really, there's this abrupt drop-off of, like, positive, feminine anything at this point. So, part two, bad idea. For some reason, Gilgamesh and Enkidu, best buddies, decide to go kill the demon Humbaba, who is watching over what we will call something like the sacred forest of the god that should not be cut down, guarded by the demon Humbaba who protects the sacred place. Mm-hmm. Otherwise known as Dad. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Gilgamesh says, this is going to be really awesome. We're going to kill the demon and cut down all the cedar. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm glad you said they were cedar trees, because it's important the forest was a cedar forest. And why is that? I I don't know, but it was important. It's, it's that, important. It's said a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> so long story, extremely short. They do successfully kill Humbaba, even though this is self-evidently the worst possible idea. Hmm. Gilgamesh comes back from the Forbidden Cedar Forest. He's covered in sweat and cedar shavings. And Ishtar says, oh, yes, I'll have one of those. And Gilgamesh says, mm, yeah, but no. And Gilgamesh points out that every single one of her ex-lovers is either dead in therapy or turned into a wolf. She flips out and asks her brother-in-law, the Bull of Heaven, to kick Gilgamesh's butt, and it doesn't work. And Enkidu, in a fit of great stupidity, taunts Ishtar by throwing the Bull of Heaven's thigh. It was his right thigh. His specifically, he hits her in the face with his right thigh. Yes, mm-hmm. there is symbology there which escapes me. No, it's just basic euphemism. <laughs> so, okay, then what's it a euphemism for? Yeah, like, do each of the thighs represent something? What is the left thigh? No, well, okay, so I think no one's really entirely certain on this, but mm-hmm. given that this is the goddess of love and her temple that he's raising the middle finger to uh, and throwing a part of the bull of heaven, a few people have suggested that it's probably like the bull's... Um, it's penis? the bull Venus, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. would make the most sense to me. Like, it, I could get behind that. Yes. That makes um, total sense to me. But that's not the right... Never mind. But, uh, maybe it's, I don't know, you know, translation, maybe a puritanical, I don't know, I, who knows. For kids, it's for the kids. Uh, and answer unclear, ask again later, honestly, but um, probably, possibly maybe bull penis, I don't know. Anyway, it's a rude thing to throw at Ishtar, who does take offense, and Enkidu gets very sick, because it's not like Ishtar isn't insanely powerful and insanely jealous. Enkidu gets sick. It's the full dramatic, half the movie on a hospital bed whispering for his one true companion to hold his hands while he walks into the light style of sick. And then he dies. Hmm. Hmm. Part three. Gilgamesh, not happy, sits by Enkidu for seven days, makes a statue of him, goes away crying. 
Then he gets in his convertible and goes for a long drive. He tries to deal and he starts worrying about like whether he could die too or not. So this is like midlife crisis Gilgamesh at this point. It would be pretty horrible if he could die. So he goes to find the one guy that's actually immortal. His name is Utnapishtim, but we'll just call him Noah for short because that's accurate. Hmm. Uh, on the way, he fights man scorpions or men scorpions. Or wasn't it a, oh, I said one thing I read was like a couple. Oh, yeah. Well, there were two of them. Mm-hmm. At least. I mean, I think it's like a tribe of men's, men's scorpions that he fights. Well, we talked about the scorp. There were scorpion people in yeah. our first episode, I think. Yeah. And this is like the first instance of scorpion people as a trope. So mm-hmm. that. He journeys through impenetrable darkness, mm-hmm. goes to the Garden of the Gods, and has a heart-to-heart with Heaven's Bartender. And yes. He- yes. And that's a good scene, actually. It's very thoughtful. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to skip it. And then he meets Urshnabi, who's kind of like Karen. We talked about him before. You mean Karen, not Karen, like, I want to speak to the manager, Karen, but Karen, oh. like, River Sticks, Karen. Yeah, right? yeah, Car- Karen. Okay. Charon? And also, I would just like to say we will, we're not skipping over the, the, the L wife because we don't care about her. We feel like she has another place for us to talk. Like it's we're saving her for later. We're saving her for another episode. Mm, quite possibly. Quite possibly. Um, her, mm-hmm. her real name is uh, Sidori, and she's. I think she's like the the goddess of brewery in in this mythology. And wisdom. And well, those two things obviously mm-hmm, go together because those two things go together. In uh, vino veritas. Mm, hmm. He meets Urshnabi, who's hunting for Urnu snakes. No one knows what Urnu snake is. Uh, he's yeah. got these stone things. No one knows what these stone things are, but they're in scare quotes, which is really bizarre. I think that they're probably fusion reactors and they power or sex his- toys. I feel <laughs> like all of this is actually all about after watching the Lil Nas video, like a gazillion times, I think everything now is about sex. Well, they power his boat somehow. So probably not sex toys unless they're mm, really power his boat, really strong batteries. <laughs> so I, Oh, Quick, set me up for a motorboating joke. (laughs) (laughs) I think we just did. So Gilgamesh jumps up and down on the stone things for no good reason and then asks Urshanabi to help him cross the river of death. And Urshanabi says, I can't, you idiot, you broke my fusion reactors. So to speak. Yes. Or vibrators. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Well, that would power a boat. Yeah. Like that would actually take you pretty far, I think. (laughs) Gilgamesh makes another boat. And the two of them talk about death for a while, like you do, until they finally meet Noah, who says, yes, I am immortal, but it's not that great. I'm just old now. You don't need that crap. <laughs> and Gilgamesh says, look, I'm not going back until I'm immortal. So Noah tells him where's to find... So Noah tells him where's to find... So Noah tells him where to find the magical MacGuffin flower that makes you young and beautiful forever. Gilgamesh has to do some crazy lunatic thing to find it. And he does. Mm-hmm. And he takes it back to Uruk, but the snake steals it. So he goes back to Uruk and looks around and says, I guess this is pretty awesome. And the moral of the story is you may not be able to live forever, but at least you can have your name on all the buildings. Ah, and a statue in Australia. There's a statue of him randomly in Australia. Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. And he's like in so many bits of the civilization game. And Mm. he is like a lot of German authors are big fans of his. Supposedly like right after World War II uh, because of this whole existentialist journey. He was an inspiration to a generation of German authors. And then also queer German authors have glommed on to him. I believe they should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> There's a secret Tablet 12 that is not necessarily part of Gilgamesh canon. Depending on the translator, they sometimes leave it off entirely. And it does kind of read like fanfic or slash fic rather. But really sad slash fic because it's about 
Enkidu dying. It's like Godo- like waiting for Godot as slash fic. Yeah. It's a weird two-parter. In the first part, we're in Anana's garden, and she's got a tree that has birds and liliths in it. And this is causing her some emotional distress. But she and Gilgamesh are still on good terms, so Gilgamesh chases out the liliths <laughs> and makes a, a couch or something like that for for her. It's a little confusing. I don't really get it. So, okay, let me back up. Let me back up. So she chases out the Liliths. Yes. And makes a couch for herself. Gilgamesh chases the Liliths away. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the Urzu birds or whatever. I don't know. And makes a chair and a bed and something for Inanna, who's on good terms with him right now. And And she thanks him with a lap dance. No. Well, no. No, She makes it. I've got this part. To reward him for cutting down her magic tree, she makes out of out of the bits of the tree a miku and a puku, and she gives them to him. And this is important, because these are very important things. What are they, Jamin? We don't know. We don't know! Could you list all of the things that they might be? There's some conjecture. So, obviously, there's some con- blah, 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 blah. I'm Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, that was spot on. (laughs) (laughs) Go on. (laughs) There's some conjecture, but the consensus is these are important. Like these are items of importance. Otherwise, she wouldn't have made them out of her prized tree and given them to him. Right? He plays with them a lot. So, like, he really (laughs) plays with them a lot. Things that they might be, like a royal scepter and orb, like the queen has, right? Royal items. They could be a toy, like a stick and a hoop on a string where you throw this, you know, this. They could be a, a drum and a stick, so could, you know, but he, he uses them, but they're, they're important. And the other thing they might be is... It's a sex toy. Well, it's just an allegory. Everything's it's like, a sex toy. If you're brave enough. <laughs> so Enkidu is playing with... Well, okay, so real quick... Depending on who's interpreting this, you've got what's probably a rod and a sphere or a ball, right? It's like, here's this important thing, this status, and it's allegory for your overt sexuality as the lead of this character, right? You are Gilgamesh. In the next scene, Enkidu is playing with Gilgamesh's puku. (laughs) And Miku. (laughs) And Miku. uh, And drops them. And of course, they plummet into the underworld. Oops. Yeah. There's kind of a, an understanding of he drops them and the ground opens up and they plummet into hell. Like this is an intentional act on the underworld's part to steal these important things. Am I right? Hmm. Question mark. I think it is a little more dramatic. I am definitely trivializing this somewhat, um, but it's big and Nurgle is involved somehow. And like the hosts of hell come out. It's complicated. And they, they have to decide who's going to get it. Whoever goes to get these things is probably going to get stuck in hell, probably. Not that there's like a rotating door there. It's like Arkham Asylum, really, in that regard. Mm. Uh, Enkidu <laughs> is just way too helpful and says, yeah, I'll get them. And Gilgamesh says, okay, just don't look like a tourist. Don't kiss anyone. Don't hit anyone. Just keep a low profile. All you have to do is follow these simple rules of how to get out of hell. Don't eat the pomegranate seeds. Mm. So Enkidu puts on his spats, his Mickey Mouse ears, Chanel number no. 5, kisses everyone he meets, just basically screws it all up and dies. <laughs> Get stuck in the underworld. Oops. It really seems very preventable. <laughs> this is just like bad decisions, an epic of bad decisions. Yeah. It, it kind of portrays Gilgamesh as moderately inept. 
Well, this is like a comedy. Well, this is weird. This is weird comedy moments, and there's a few of those throughout the narrative. Go find this magic flower. Oh no, you let the snakes eat it. All you have to do is not sleep for twelve days. Nope, can't do that either. It's super dark though. Um, Nurgle shows up and casts a thirty-six level speak with dead spell, and Enkidu comes up for a chat, and they talk about this and that and what the underworld is like, and it's pretty grim because if you don't have any descendants, you're like you know stuck in a closet forever. Oh, um, if you yeah. get eaten by a lion or burned up in a fire you're just gone uh, if mm-hmm. you die a leper you have like twitches and pains forever it's not bad if you have a lot of kids if we establish that if you have a lot of kids it's just hunky dory actually uh, it's great and uh, they talk and uh, I think we, we're resolved that death is not a great place in general there is some very strange gay subtext here if you're if you're that kind of scholar because the translation is kind of ambiguous it's kind of like Enkidu says to him Gil, you know all that stuff under my cute little Assyrian manskirt? Yeah. The stuff you really liked and you kept me awake for seven days playing hide the puku with it? Mm. Yeah, that was that was great. It's full of worms. No. Um, anyway, again, <laughs> trivializing. It's actually kind of sad, but fairly graphic too. Like there's there's a worms? there's parts listed. What? Parts? Parts? Body parts? Body parts. Like uh, everything that's happening to his body parts. No, just 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 the penis again. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. This episode has turned into make Jacob say penis. <laughs> it really has. I don't know. Javen and I had a meeting beforehand to see how many <laughs> oh, times we could I'm get glad. you to say penis. Let's see. One of the translations on a very like gay friendly translation was like, "My friend, the penis you touched so that your heart rejoices. Grubs are now devouring it like an old garment, and my crotch is full of dust." Oh, you've mentioned this before, yes. I, I probably would have, yes. Can I bring up Freud here? Sure. Because Freud actually thought a lot about Gilgamesh and felt that what uh, Gilgamesh and Enkidu, which he misstated as Ibani, he said that they represented man and crude sensuality, respectively, and that he compared what? them to other brother figures in world mythology saying that one is always weaker than the other and dies sooner. In Gilgamesh, this ages-old motif of the unequal pair of brothers served to represent the relationship between a man and his libido. I could see that, yeah. He does does go there. And it was kind of one of those, like, somewhat unequal pairings, but Gilgamesh is two-thirds god. Very Freudian. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think Enkidu gradually becomes less equal, particularly in like this fanfic sort of thing where he's more like his servant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it depends on what, what page it is, but he does seem to be a little more impulsive, a little bit dimmer. Well, it's interesting because if you think about duality, like the duality in Lil Nas X's video is like kind of the, is it the Greek idea of like man, and, like male and female were all one until Zeus sliced Slice yeah. them in twain with yeah. lightning. The Hedwig and, and the Angry Inch bit. Exactly. It's it's the Hedwig story. And here, maybe it's like, because it's male-male, it's somehow unequal. And that, again, is like very homophobic. Like, well, it has to be, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. You know, so it's kind of this weird, you know, like this is an unnatural duality. And a doomed duality, potentially, in, in, in a Freudian term. Yeah. Not saying that I agree with that. I'm just saying, like, in Freud's creepy mindset. 
I think that everything is very doomed in this universe. Like this entire story is about doomed in some ways. It's it's a quest for mortality or a rejection of mortality, a quest for immortality that has to eventually accept mortality as the ultimate everything. I don't I don't know. They are a heroic pair, but this may predate homophobia. I don't know. Like this is we, it's we're That's a very you know, good, good point. 4000 mm-hmm. years away from this place. There's frequently like a certain level of um, shenanigans allowed the military in like Greek society and things like that. So I don't know what their actual positions were. We're approaching it through the lens of scholars who have perhaps layered homophobia onto this, like 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 Freud, like yeah, other classic classicists who are not notoriously a very open minded bunch about a lot of stuff. I, yeah, I don't know if it was no big thing or not. Well, that's what I was going to say. If you approach this from a viewpoint of masculinity without sexuality, right? You have these very masculine people doing heroic things. And part of masculinity is just having like a massive throbbing Miku with a big veiny Piku, right? And there's nothing sexual about this. It's this is, I'm going to quote this from someone who made this up. You know, it's like, this is the core of my being. This is who I am. My strength is this. You can tell this is my strength because uh, this leads to masculinity. If you have all of this, and you've got G.I. Joe and He-Man and Conan and all these big, muscular, burly dudes, they're being masculine. You don't have to layer subtext of sexuality on this, right? You got two Mm -hmm. dudes doing badass things, kicking butts, ripping thighs off bulls, throwing throwing those thighs in ladies' faces, because... Dude, that's what bros do. And yet, and yet, the gods did send him a man whore. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's sort of like an old 50s love song, you know, send me a man whore. <laughs> that's more 80s. Send yeah, me a true. man whore. Ah, send me a man whore right now. <laughs> <laughs> Again, in terms of... The world, the temple, the temple being a core of civilization, where you have religious sexuality, sexuality, sexuisms. I think you've created a new a new word. I oh, sexuality. Yeah, it's like okay. <laughs> so again, we're we're looking at a world that is not this world, but you've got a temple in which part of civilization are whores. And horror is such a dirty word. Like, well, temple prostitutes, temple. cultic prostitutes, which were um, the you know, yeah. this kind of sex worker therapy religion thing. Yeah, sex Let, therapy. Let's separate that from like the idea of boredom. <laughs> in this world, you got two super masculine dudes in a world where there are temple prostitutes to take care of your temple needs. Like, this is society. Do we really have to make it like an? alt text counterculture like are we are we describing the past or the present that's a very good point this is I, that question is too deep for jamin to have said i will be on the record as saying i'm very pro weird minotaur gilgamesh slash fic totally yeah. i'm really like guys the scorpion man that's my thing sorry <laughs> <laughs> so hot or not <laughs> Scorpion men? Oh, no. No, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Guys, I'm really more the scorpion ladies kind of guy. That's my thing. Victoria, can I ask you a little NAS question? Well, yes. Yes, you may. 
please. At, at the end of the video, he mm-hmm. takes Satan's horns and puts them on his head. Mm-hmm. But I think they might actually be Moses's horns. What do you think? What? Boo? Yes. Say more. Well, Moses's horns. We 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 touched on mm-hmm. this. Horns are often used to imply a numinous or spiritual entity, mm-hmm. um, but also it was connected to the strange. Uh, idea that both the Jews and the Christian faiths worshipped goats in strange ways. It was kind of linked up with the Jew-goat libel myth that was perpetuated for quite some time. I just think that when he wears Satan's horns at the end, they look more like Moses' horns than Satan's horns. That's a good point. They do, actually. And it does kind of go in with this uh, kind of embracing the negative stereotypes that have been thrown at him potentially like with the Jews as well. Yeah. Sort of like, I'm going to just bear, I'm just going to wear that. I'm going to wear all of it. Yeah. Or maybe like lead the people out of bondage. That's true. Yeah. Or or into it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's ambiguous there. Uh huh. Yeah. No, that's a really interesting point. I hadn't thought about that because I thought it was more like sort of creating a new, like a new hero's journey, a new mythology, where instead of conquering your demon, instead of conquering the demon, like you become the demon, like you embrace the demon within. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Particularly when the demon is actually himself, because everybody in that video is little Nass. Exactly, yeah. That happened to me yeah. at church once. Now say that again? <laughs> that happened to me at church once. Okay, say more. Everyone was everybody, little Nass? Yeah. Okay. Where <laughs> everybody was Jacob. No, everybody was little Nass. <laughs> I feel like that's a different kind of hero journey when you are not represented. Like, <laughs> so everybody's somebody else that's not you. On Gilgamesh and immortality, mm-hmm. there's kind of a weird committee stapled on bad Hollywood happy ending to the story because Gilgamesh ultimately does become a god. It's not implied in any myth, it's not part of any official story. But over the next couple of millennia, he's deified several times. Um, once as a king that wants to establish like kinship of the god traits. Trait. He ends up being one of the judges of the underworld. So Gilgamesh actually does have a form of immortality, the kind that he sought after. It just didn't make it into the tablets because it's kind of tacked on. Oh, wow. So you're saying that Gilgamesh earned his dinger. <gasps> yes. And maybe this is another Lil Nas connection in that he became a deity with immortality in the underworld. Maybe. Then we get into the question of, is Satan a deity? And that's a crazy question that we'll be spending at least the next two years exploring. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a question. So um, what about the controversy surrounding Gilgamesh and the Old Testament? Since we brought up Moses... Yeah, Gilgamesh is a jerk. Oh, we knew that. Sorry. Because there's the flood story. Okay, the flood, the Noah thing. mm -hmm. And the whole tree with Lilith in it. True, yeah, Lilith perching in the tree. That is interesting. And little little Ness, possibly, as well, connection Mm -hmm. there. I'd Mm -hmm. I'd forgotten about that. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's not, it's not really a tree of knowledge. It's like, it's a couch for Inanna, but... The entire story kind of has tree of knowledge elements because it's on this epic quest to find the fruit of immortality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there was there was a tree story somewhere in this well, mess. Wait, I mm-hmm. thought we were actually referencing Gilgamesh in the Old Testament, in which 
Gilgamesh was in the Old Testament and he was a jerk and somebody did something to make him stop. Well, there's some consternation over whether or not, like, which came first? The you know, the... Chicken? Uh, yes. So which one is borrowing from the other or are they the same story? So the Epic of Gilgamesh was, it was rediscovered in 1849, but after being translated, it caused widespread controversy because portions of it are so similar to the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. Many of the stories in the Old Testament may be derived from earlier myths told throughout the ancient Near East. And so everybody specifically freaked out about the flood story. Yeah. The Utnapishtim story where he's Noah, um, that mm-hmm. was kind of, I, I'd forgotten this, but yeah, he was kind of used, that was kind of used to prove the veracity of the Noah story and the, and the factuality of it. Actuality. Okay. Uh, according to Google, I am wrong. About? Oh, everything. I was like, dear Google, am I right? And it was like, no. Hmm. No, uh, okay, so Gilgamesh was in the Book of Giants, which is related to the Book of Enoch, Mm. which I haven't read. So Mm. I thought it was in the current 2021 modern canon 66 books. It's not. Jacob? Wait, what was the book? What book was it? Book of Giants slash Book of Enoch. No, that is definitely not in any, like, christian canon at all. Oh, but you've read one of them, right? Oh, I have a copy of it. It doesn't mean it's in the like Bible canon. It it influences a lot of other books. Yeah. Uh, particularly like Revelations and things like that. But it's, it's not canon I as thought, far as I know. I thought there was an Old Testament story where someone was like, Alas and alack, our King Gilgamesh is blah, blah, blah. Please, Hezekiah, save us. But it wasn't. That's not like that at all. Well, there's a, I don't, not, not, not specifically Gilgamesh, but there's a lot of like, I think there's a lot of parallels here and mm. there. I, I just found a really pretty one. So this is back to Siduri, the Heaven's Bartender moment. She's giving Gilgamesh advice, and she says, You, Gilgamesh, let your belly be full. Keep enjoying yourself day and night. Every day make merry. Dance and play day and night. Let your clothes be clean. Let your head be washed when you be bathed in water. Gaze on the little one who holds your hand. Let a wife enjoy your repeated embrace. Such is the destiny of mortal men. And then in Ecclesiastes... Go, eat your bread with enjoyment, and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has long ago approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Do not let oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that are given to you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and your toil at which you toil under the sun. And there's a lot of really strong echoes there. Yeah. Is that is that the eat, drink, and be merry line, or does that come later? Yeah, pretty much. Eat, drink, and merry is definitely in there. Hmm. Because they're essentially telling him, like, hey, why are you so, like, why why are you such a downer? You should just be happy, right? Yeah, man. Like, stop, stop, stop being such a, such a shoegazer. <laughs> Live your life, hug your wife, the end. Mm-hmm. That was his, his little goth period. <laughs> but did you know that Saddam Hussein was also a huge fan of Gilgamesh and used that as an inspiration for his own fiction? Not surprised. Goodness yeah. gracious! Not not surprised in the slightest. It's it's isn't that weird? Like I don't I don't they see how that fits in here. I just found that really weird. No, well, he was in he was in Iraq. That's kind of like Gilgamesh mm-hmm. Gilgamesh Central. Gilgamesh country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was the king <laughs> no. of a city state. So, kind of bringing this back to hell because that's why we're here. Mm-hmm. Um, we learn a lot about the Mesopotamian afterlife over the last several episodes. Your status is very dependent on 
the offerings people give you, that's kind of your source of happiness in your source of status in the underworld. And a large part of that is whether you have children to remember you. Ancestor worship is extremely important in this world. Um, although kings kind of get de facto ancestor worship, they're kind of just like this cloud of worship that they inherit somehow. The definition of hell, I think for our purposes, is a punitive punishing afterlife, usually with red satin tights, mm. but not always. Yeah. Mm. So a lot of people writing on Mesopotamian and I think early Jewish afterlives say it's not punitive. It's just kind of a generic place to go where people aren't really judged. They're just put in cold storage mm. forever. But I think that's not the case here at all because there's a lot of implied judgment here. Enkidu talks about some really positive experiences in hell. Uh, for like the guy with 17 kids, it's a perpetual party forever. For the eunuch, he just has to sit in the corner and cry. It does seem like there's a downside and some like moral judgment here. I think you could argue that one function hell serves is to promote common religious values, be good, do good things, serve God, etc., and the afterlife kind of does the same thing. You want to be a good king, not a rapey king. You want to have children, and they should respect you. So I think that the Mesopotamian underworld does encourage and reward good behavior and punish bad. It's just not in a specific location that does it. It's just the nature of the entire place uh, rewards your impact on society. Societal kind, norms. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I joked about it, but at the end of Gilgamesh, there's a very ambiguous ending to it. He's gone on this huge epic quest, lost his BFF, drank the meat of the gods, had immortality stolen by a snake. And then it goes right back to the beginning where he's talking about how cool Uruk is. And he's talking about his legacy, his forever. You know, that city stands for 3,000 years. At the end of this epic quest, he starts like, measuring out the temple district and says, okay, yeah, this is, this is good enough. And it's a very strange, ambiguous ending, but he's talking about his own forever, which is the impact he's made on the world and the respect people give him. Hmm. I forgot about the whole measurement yeah. aspect of this. It's, it's very weird. It's a coda to the very beginning of the story, which talks about how awesome Uruk is. That's right. Yeah. Uruk as the measure of awesome. The lions eat the gazelle. <laughs> So again, civilization, like he chooses civilization over the wild, the, where the wild things are. He hmm. does, but also civilization is a place where you can have a legacy. Could Enkidu ever have a legacy if he was just kind of a wild man? Oh, who will write down my story? Right. right. Those that's who how can the, write. That's how it begins. Someone is telling Gilgamesh's story. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. And that's the circle. Mm, okay. Now I'm really intrigued about how many pieces of literature sort of follow this same. I mean, it is kind of like, yeah. <laughs> the, the major literary trope from like 300 to 1700 was actually measuring your hometown. It really is. It's sort of like, I mean, it, but it's kind of like giving up the wildness, you know, like all of the, like the Henry, the Henry plays are a sort of misspent youth and like just kind of buckling down and, and doing what you're supposed to do. And there's so many... Which is the literary trope where they turn the green light on in the backyard? That's Gatsbyism. Mm. <laughs> Can I word drop? I'm going to word drop <gasps> Bill Doug's Roman. Uh, 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 Bill Doug's yes. Roman, the, the literature of youth. 
Well, the literature mm-hmm. of growing up. Okay. Yeah. It's, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's the coming of age narrative. And this yep. is a lot more than that because this is like a coming of middle age narrative. Hmm. <laughs> it's true where like you spend your life, you know, kind of measuring things and thinking about your legacy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of, uh, uh, the love song of J. Alfred Proof Rock in here. Well. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> in a weird way. But uh but yeah, yeah. I like I like that uh I like the, the insertion of infrastructure. And again, is that is that a layer that's been added on or is that an original? Like how do do we know that? Like what is the I mean this is a this is an urban literature and it's in some ways celebrates this kind of life that separates us from the past, from the gazelles. From those other tribes who still live in tents, those nerds. Mm-hmm. This is a story of our success. This is how we have grown to be the apex of civilization. We have both mud and bricks and outhouses, guys. Not a tent in sight. Well, that was kind of a fun journey down a someone else's adventure a long time ago. I've learned a lot. You've learned a lot. I, I think uh, I'm going to be glad to escape this and get on to something a little else. Oh, I can't. <laughs> I can't wait for like <laughs> Shibalba and Miktlan, Miktlan, but oh dear, <laughs> we'll know how to say it by then. I have no idea how to how to say that. Anyway, from all of us here to all of you, we'll see you in hell. This podcast is copyright twenty twenty one by the Dispatchist and its Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at the Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for more episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources. Guys, guys, I think you, y'all left the lights on. <sighs> Your mom doesn't work here, guys.